And uh, we're in uh, the imprecatory psalms, looking as we've been going through these, one psalm after the other. Uh, last week we were in, was it Psalm 54, and then previous to that, Psalm 52. And Psalm 56 is another classified, anyways, imprecatory psalm, a psalm where uh, a prayer of deliverance is, is asked for and a prayer of uh, God dealing with his enemies and dealing with specifically David's enemies. Most of these imprecatory psalms are, are David's psalms. And so we're going to look at that tonight, reading down through 13 verses here. And to start off, to set the backdrop to this, um, the italicized part of that is sort of the caption that would, uh, or the title of this psalm. And it's a prayer for relief from tormentors. And it's to the chief musician set to the silent dove in distant lands. And so that was a song. And the silent dove, it's, it's sort of a, um, it's a translation there in English. Some have translated it, the silent dove in among the oak trees, the terebinth. And then others, uh, just straight up, the silent dove in distant or foreign lands. That's the Hebrew word that's used. And so you, you say, well, when was that? Uh, and it says right below it, a, a, a miktam of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. It was a time where David went and um, was among the Philistines in Gath. These are the same, the same place that, remember when David comes on the scene in, that, in 1 Samuel 17, he's the one that killed the giant of Gath. Goliath was from that town. And David takes refuge from Saul among the Philistines in Gath. It seems like one frying pan to the next. And David goes there. And to get out, he has to feign that he's crazy as a madman, and he, he gets out of that. But it was a really tough situation when David was there. Um, he's running from Saul. He goes to the place that he figures Saul will never look for him. And uh, David, you would say, would probably be the, most people would say that would be absolutely crazy to go to Gath, but that's what he does. And so that's the backdrop to this song. And it was a, a tough time for David. Verse 1, be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. All day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity? In anger, cast down the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God I will praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me. O God, I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. You have not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Let's pray. 
Lord, again, we are so grateful, grateful for your goodness, grateful for your hand of mercy upon all of us. And Lord, even as we look at this psalm tonight, I I do pray, O God, that you would just uh, encourage us, help us to walk by faith and not by sight and not by the flesh. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to this psalm, and um, this, again, as I set the backdrop to this, is a psalm of David, and it's a time when he fled and left Judah, that region, and he fled to Gath, and that's certainly the enemy's stronghold, and yet he seemed to think that that was the only place that he could hide from Saul. Uh, Sometimes we find ourselves in a real difficult situation, or situations in this case, No doubt there were those that had wanted David dead just to seek vengeance upon him for what he had done uh, earlier on when he defeated the giant of Gath. Uh, That guy still had family in Gath, and there were still people around that would have remembered that and would have sought to kill David and looked for an occasion to kill him. And yet Saul himself, the Benjamite king, was going there or seeking after David and hounding him. And you kind of sense that in David's call as he talks about that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's this picture, or the title of it, implies a dove in a strange land. And you kind of picture a dove, which is one of the, really the most harmless of birds, and is an emblem of peace, even today, because they do no harm. And that dove that's been, you know, sort of abandoned, that kind of feel to it, in a place, a very scary place. And yet, David cries out in faith both while he fears man but he also cries out in faith to God and God certainly answers in that I think in Psalm 55 the previous um, psalm uh, many think that this is the reference that David or as he writes in that psalm uh, that he he likens himself like a dove and here it says in Psalm 55 6 so I said Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. And he pictures himself trapped, if only I had wings and could fly away to a remote place. Well, David found himself in that remote place in Gath, and it was a scary place uh, for sure. And uh, we see that. Anyways, if you want an outline... Uh, We have the first point here found in Psalm 56, verses 1 to 4. Deliver me from death. David opens up with this song, and he he cries out to God, saying, Lord, deliver me from death. says, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. David cries out for mercy. He cries out for God to keep him and protect him from his enemies and to deliver him from death. And I can only imagine the despair he would have found himself in that. When he uses the phrase, uh, verse 2 there, my enemies would hound me all day, all day long. It never lets up. And that's one thing about some trials, right, that we face and David faced it, is they, they never, you never have a break from them. They just continually come at you. For David, it had been now uh, years of him on the run, and he has had all these, you know, these things, the enemies, enemies of his own 
well, his own people, uh, enemies of his own land, and then enemies in a foreign land that were after him. <clears throat> and Warren Wiersbe points out that David manifested both fear and faith as he cried out to God. And I think sometimes we find ourselves in the very same predicament. We cry out in fear, but in doing so, we also are showing that we trust in God by crying out in our times of fear. And, and by the way, we are fearful beings, all right? Fear is not necessarily something that we should never have. And fear does happen, and there are scary things in this world. It happened to the disciples, right? I think of the disciples when they were in, um, in the storm. Remember that? Matthew chapter 8 is one of account of that. And in Matthew 8, 23, it says, Now when he, that's Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him. They were followers of Jesus. They said, we're going to follow where he goes, I go. But they didn't realize, but by following Jesus, it was going to get really scary. And I think sometimes that's the cost of discipleship. We are quick to say, yeah, I'll follow Jesus. But when times get really tough, it's then you see your faith, as deep as that is or as shallow as that is. And that's what happens to these disciples, and most of whom were fishermen, by the way, and they end up in a boat, would have felt very much at home with Jesus in a boat because that was their way of life and the way things went. But then a storm comes, and that's what the next verse says. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. And it's not a good thing when the waves cover your boat, just so you know. But he was asleep. Sometimes we go through trials and it seems as if the Lord doesn't care because they almost think God is asleep. Well, certainly Christ in the flesh got tired and, and he had to sleep. He was tired. But he was nevertheless, he was still in the middle of the storm with his disciples. And look what it says in the next verse. Then his disciples came to him, awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. I can, we are perishing. Uh, their, their prayer wasn't really eloquent. It wasn't long. It was, Lord, save us. We are perishing. Deliver us from death. Sounds much like what David had to pray, right? Um, think of Peter later on. Same thing. When Peter's in a boat, different occasion. And the Lord appears to them. And he's walking on the waves, right? Or he's in, he's in the waves. And and he beckons when they recognize him. Finally, he beckons Peter to come out of the boat. Peter comes out and he begins to sink when he sees the waves and the contrariness of it. And he only gets out the words, Lord, save me, right? Save me. And really in the Greek, it's just save. <laughs> just that's all you can do. And again, you see faith on display in that they trusted him. But you also see fear. And often that, those things are mixed together, aren't they? Verse 26 there, it says, But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Their faith was shallow at best. And then he arose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So you have a great tempest, now a great calm. It's so often that God tests our faith in those kind of situations, and he does so, and we come up short. But you'll find that that was a, a sort of a, an examination or a, a marker for the disciples in their own walk with him. 
their faith would become deeper and they would trust him more. And I think of that because those same disciples, as they were commissioned and went out as apostles, they would go out and one after another after another would face persecution and trials far greater than a storm on the sea. They faced things like like being crucified. That same Peter who would cry out and say, Lord, save me as he sank in the waves. He would be the one that would be crucified. That's what tradition says. And uh, uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs records he was crucified upside down on a Roman cross, considering himself not worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Lord. And he would have died rather quickly in that, that fashion if he was, he was upside down on a cross. Nevertheless, suffering greatly. They, they learned faith. They learned how to overcome their fear, even the fear of death. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Their little test of faith and their, really their strengthening in their faith would prepare them for the very next step. The very next step, they're met by a man in Mark's gospel. I'll pick up that same account in Mark chapter 5 when they land on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the land of the Gadarenes. They're met by a demon-possessed man. I don't know about you, that's a pretty scary thing. If someone who was demon-possessed came running at me and, and you knew they were possessed and everything else, listen, it's a scary thing. And that's what, what happens. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat immediately, same sense of urgency, just like a storm came up immediately, guess what? So immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains. This man is supernaturally possessed and with strength it was not human. You ever met somebody like that? That's a scary thing, all right? Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And he saw Jesus from afar off, and he ran and he worshipped him. Now, I often think of it from the perspective of the disciples. That, that would be pretty scary to see that. It would be pretty scary from the people who occupied that land as they saw this man day and night cutting himself, screaming out in terror. But think of the man. He's possessed by an unclean spirit, maybe many. Think of how fearful he was. And in his fear and in his his. Uh, demon possession he comes to the only one who can heal him of that and he worships him the same god who can calm the seas and bring a great calm can also calm the heart of a someone who's tormented by the devil and he cried out with a loud voice and said what have i to do with you jesus son of the most high god i implore you by god that you do not torment me and for he said to him Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Or more than one. There was more than one demon that was in him. Maybe as the name Legion implies, a hundred or more. That's a lot. Imagine being tormented by such. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, 
So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Some have said that maybe there were over 2,000 demons. I don't know. I just know as someone said it's a lot of deviled ham. (laughs) And off it went into the sea. And the God who controls the natural things controls the supernatural as well. And he controls the heart. After that, that man is in his right mind and he's worshiping Jesus. And he's telling others about the man who saved him. David cries out, oh merciful, be merciful to me, oh God, most high God. He uses that same phrase as the demon possessed man, the most high God. It is only the Most High God that can save us and deliver us. David goes on to talk about, um, he, uses, he uses this term in verse 3, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. And in God, I will praise his word, In God I have put my trust, I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? David asks that. Now, I like that. because, And by the way, the refrain of that is found further uh, in the end of this uh, section also in verses 10 and 11 he repeats that it's very similar what is david doing well he's doing more than just writing a poem and singing a song he's he's singing out a, ref- a refrain and the refrain has to do with his fear and his faith and trust in god and he's rehearsing the word of god he's rehearsing the promises of god by the way what what is the and this is just the open secret it's not even a secret If you want to have your faith stronger and your fears less, rehearse the word of God. Romans 10, 17, right? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I often think of that verse in the context of salvation, right? That that when we hear the word of God, we're saved. But do you realize that when you hear the word of God, and, and you folks that are here tonight are hopefully hearing the word of God, right? The word of God gives us stronger faith and the just shall live by faith that's for us and that verse is for for believers it's for everybody but it's for believers if you want more faith get in the word of god it's that simple david rehearses the word of god and he and he says what can flesh do to me you know he 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 says what's the worst that man can do he's just flesh and flesh fades flesh is like the grass it fades away right i mean that's what the scripture says he's just mortal man or other words just merely a man hebrews 13:6 quotes this says the lord is my helper i will not fear what can man do to me that verse is for all of us not just david oh i'm glad for that the scripture reiterates the fallen human nature in, and it, it reveals to us a, a negative. In our flesh we are but weak. In our flesh we are capable of evil and doing things. Um, Jesus put it this way, John six sixty three: It is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Yet how much of our daily routines and our lives are spent trying to do things only in the flesh 
The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. There it is again. You want life? You'll find it in the words of Christ. And there are several other verses that that deal with that as well. Uh, Romans 7.18, Paul writes there, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but to how to perform what is good I do not find. And is um, sort of his um, statement there with the flesh is that, again, whatever was in him that was good is of Christ, not of the flesh. Philippians 3.3, 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. There is the the idea of again worshiping him in spirit and in truth right jesus said that earlier but also here as paul reiterates the mark of circumcision for a jewish male did not do anything it just showed that he was flesh that's it it was worshiping in spirit in the spirit that was important all right well he says deliver me from death But then secondly, David says, deliver me from stumbling. Stumbling. Um, How many of us have taken a hard fall somewhere along the line? You know, physically, fallen, it happens. Uh, And and, and we we know that it probably will happen again, just the way it is, especially in northern Maine when it's icy and everything else, but it can happen anywhere. Uh, we, We take a fall. But here, David's referring to his very life and there were people out there watching his steps and he had to watch his steps very carefully verse 5 of psalm 56 all day they twist my words all their thoughts are against me for evil they gather together they hide they mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life that's quite a, a image that's there not only are they looking to trip him up in his words and slander him but they're lying in wait looking to ambush him and you can picture david as he's in gath and he has to go out somewhere you know he couldn't go come back the same way because there would be somebody lying in wait ready to pounce and kill him the same is true was with saul seeking him david had to watch his every move and watch his steps very carefully i'm thankful that um Though we may have a target on our backs, God is there. He's our rear guard. He's our forward guard. He's all around us. And David cries out to the one who can protect him. It's Psalm 37 which says, The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Aren't you glad that though others may be watching your steps and waiting for you to stumble, God orders your steps if you'll let him. And he delights in his way. Though he fall. That means that people fall. Even good men and good women. He shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. And I picture that in my mind's eye. As we walk spiritually. And there are things in this world that trip us up. And it's not only in the spirit. It's in the flesh. It's in in the emotions of all things. We get just caught by something. It's waiting for us in ambush. And the enemy himself, Satan, is like that. And yet, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. 
the Lord will uphold him with his right or with his hand. And I picture the Lord just picking us back up. And even if that fall leads to death here on this earth, guess what? You're just going up from there. <laughs> it's great. And it's a, a great hope that we have. David endured great suffering. And he knew that. Verse 7. It says, Shall they escape by iniquity? In anger, cast down the peoples, O God. That's that imprecatory part. He's praying and saying, God, take my enemies and cast them down. And I, I have told you, I, I have been more, my wife said this the other day, we were talking, my prayers are more imprecatory in nature. And I've prayed things like that. And I shouldn't tell you that, but I say, well, if David prayed it, maybe I can pray that. And I say, Lord, save my enemies. May they come to your knowledge. But Lord, if they're going to commit evil against people, you take them out. Break their arm. Whatever you want to do. I don't know. Lord, you do it. Not me. Man, I'm going to probably find myself on some watch list saying things like that. But I, I think it's scriptural. And I, I mean, we also balance that with God's mercy and grace. And I think the Psalms do that. And the New Testament does that. We are to pray for those who despitefully use us and want to do us harm and persecute us and those kind of things. But he doesn't say exactly how to pray <laughs> in that way. And I think sometimes we need to pray for deliverance and say, Lord, if you need to take out my enemy, you do it. You number my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Wow, a lot could be said there with those. You know, I, and we'll come to this, but I truly believe God numbers everything about us. In other words, an infinite God who has infinite knowledge, who is all-knowing of everything, keeps track of everything. He knows your wanderings. He knows your daily routines. He knows if you're afraid. He knows exactly how you trust him he knows all those things he knows exactly where you've been and where you will be and where you are right now he's that kind of god david just reminds himself of that you number my wanderings david if god was to reveal it to him and david said lord how many times have i wandered in this wilderness experience and god said i'll tell you every step this is how many times how many times did david cry Sometimes we think of David, he's, a, he's the great warrior, the warrior poet, really. And, and, and with that warrior side of him, he was brave enough to go down into the valley of Elah and stand before a giant of a man and call that man out for his blasphemy against the one true God and slay him. <laughs> he was that kind of man. But then he could go out and he could cry out, not only over his own iniquity, the iniquity of his nation, but cry out in the times of desperation. And with tears rolling down his face, God numbered every single one of those tears. Every single one. He says, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? God has a record of your tears. Wow. How many tears did you cry in that way? He says, when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. I love that. This I know because God is for me. Some would say that's presumptuous to say that God is for you. Guess what? 
The Bible says that. And if you're a God follower, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he is for you, not against you, for you. Romans 8, 31, right? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. I'll tell you, I could preach that. I just, I, 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 that verse 33. If you're one of God's, you're God's elect. And I don't care if Satan himself shows up in the courtroom and says, I know Jack Karen, I followed him around a little bit. And that guy's a sinner. And God says, I'm the one who justifies. And he is, he is righteous in my eyes. Justified. That's what the word means. And no one can bring, not even Satan himself can bring a charge. And I think of that in eternity, standing before the Lord and worshiping him. And there'll never be a charge brought up of our sin, ever. Think of David. David, right? David, this great man of God, like a, God, a man who was after God's own heart. But while David was here on earth, you could have felled him with one little phrase. You could have just one word. You could have said Bathsheba. And David would have had to hang his head because he committed adultery with that woman. And it led to the death of her husband. And it led to the death of his child. And it led to the rebellion in his household. And it had so much. But in eternity, his sin is remembered no more. And my sin is remembered no more. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That sums it up, doesn't it? And I believe we're secure in Christ because he's our intercessor and because God justifies. And everything else can be thrown at you and we still overcome. If God is for us, who can be against us? David didn't have Romans chapter 8, but he had the God of Romans chapter 8 and he knew those same things firsthand. God minds our tears. He knows them. He sees them. I think in the life of uh, Hezekiah, there's an account. Remember Hezekiah? He's sick unto death. Verse, uh, 2 Kings 20, verse 1, it says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. It's pretty, pretty hard news. Somebody comes to you, especially a prophet of God, and says, The Lord has said... You're going to die. Get your stuff in order. Then he, that's Hezekiah, turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. 
And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days fifteen years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. A connection right there with Hezekiah and David and the Lord and the tears. God took note of every one of them. David also says, talks about the book. The book. And I won't go through all the verses, but look those up sometime in a concordance about the books that God keeps. There's all kinds of reference to them. There's the book of the living and there's there's those that um, in the Psalms he says, blot, uh, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. And that was a psalm of vengeance also or imprecatory nature. Take them right out of your book, Lord. No, make no record of them anymore, those who commit great iniquity. Exodus chapter 32, verse 32. Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. It's a scary thing, isn't it? Nehemiah 13 verse 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God for and for its services. And there, again, appears to be a record of good deeds even that people have done. Malachi. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. God has a book of remembrance, a scroll of remembrance for those who, who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. You say, why is it important in our personal lives to think about the Lord and to be meditating on his precepts and have a heart attitude that reveres him? Because he keeps track of it. He knows Lastly, David says, deliver me so I can praise. Deliver me so I can praise. And that's verses 12 and 13. He says, vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. And if anything, David was a man of praise, wasn't he? We have all these psalms with his name attached to them, and they're songs of praise. And he always, even in the midst of his great trials, brought praise back to things. And in this imprecatory psalm, and in this whole study on imprecatory psalms, I, I can't help but get away with this idea that no matter what the psalmist would pray and ask the Lord to do, he has to go right back to prayer and praise. He had to do that. He goes on to say, For you have delivered my soul from death. Now, Earlier in this, he needs his soul delivered from death. And you know what? God has strengthened him and encouraged him and reminded him of his word and his promises. And now he speaks in past tense. For you have delivered my soul from death. You have not kept my feet from falling. Um, And he says that I may walk before God in the light 
of the living, in the light of the living. You know, when a man comes up against his own mortality, or a woman, anybody, a person, comes up against their own mortality, there's, there's a seriousness about that, isn't it? Where the Lord, and for the believer, it brings us to a point where we say, I'm going to trust him more. Or maybe not, maybe go further away. But he wants us to trust him. And sometimes that happens. Even in the, the strength of youth, he, he wants us to, to trust him in those things. He says that I may walk before God in the light of the living. The light of the living. Interesting phrase that's used there. It's a very similar phrase that Jesus uses in John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The light of the living, literally. If you follow Jesus, you've got that promise. And no matter what this world throws at us, we have a better home. And we, we look forward to that. Often it is in the trials of adversity that God gets a hold of us and God deepens our faith. I uh, end with this illustration. Uh, a few years ago I had read a book on the uh, account of Captain Scott O'Grady, who was an F-16 pilot and he, was, uh, he spent 12 years in, in the Air Force. But during that time, he was called upon to fly over Bosnia back there in 1995. He was part of the NATO forces that were enforcing a no-fly zone during the Bosnia war that was taking place between Bosnia and Serbia and, and uh, the atrocities that were going on in the military. Uh, NATO, particularly the U.S., flew and the Royal Air Force of uh, Great Britain flew missions overhead of Bosnia to keep the peace, essentially. And on occasion, they were uh, targeted by weapon systems like surface-to-air missile batteries and those kind of things, but um, they were rarely fired upon and most often could evade them very easily. Well, on one occasion, on June 2nd, 1995, Scott O'Grady and his wingmen were flying a tactical air patrol uh, high altitude and they were flying and it happened to be a very high uh, cloud cover that day and they were just above the clouds and their early warning radar uh, system indicated that they were being targeted by a weapon system somewhere on the ground but they didn't know exactly where and the, the AWACS aircraft that were uh, flying and you know keeping track of all the airspace they couldn't identify where it was coming from either and all of a sudden without any really warning because they couldn't see the ground to see a, a, a contrail from a missile um, all of a sudden a missile a surface-to-air missile broke through the sky broke through the the cloud cover and impacted the bottom of his f-16 scott o'grady said he immediately was engulfed in fire that's all he saw is fire and his f-16 broke apart in two he had just enough time in that millisecond he said to pray to God and he said God if it's your will that I could live a few more years and see my family may you do give me that and he reached down he grabbed his ejection handle and fortunately it worked his ejection he said that canopy blew off and he punched out of those flames uh, he was burned uh, on his face and on his hands and uh, he punched out 
And he was still, because they were high altitude, the ejection seats have an altimeter on them and they only release you from the seat and the parachute deploys at around 15,000 feet. And he was well ahead, well above that. He says, I, I came out and he looked around. He could see the pieces of his aircraft around him breaking apart. And he was falling face first towards the earth. And he came down through the clouds and he could see all of Bosnia around him. And he said, it's a really beautiful country from that altitude. But he didn't want to stick around too long to take in the view. Um, he was afraid that his seat would not work because of the damage to his aircraft. After all, the plane had broken apart around him. And so he reached down next to the side of the seat and he pulled a manual release for his parachute. And it worked. And he was pulled off the seat and, and began to come to earth. And unfortunately, he was really, really high up took him 25 minutes to descend with his parachute down. As he's coming down, he's looking, and, and as he's coming down, he can see military vehicles from the Bosnians as they're, they're coming across you know, various fields and roads tracking him. They can see this great big white and orange parachute that was descending to earth. And he ended up, Scott O'Grady landed in a little patch of woods, and he had just enough time to take his his uh, parachute and unhook himself, grab his survival kit that was attached to everything, and he ran just far enough to get under some brush, and he hid there as these soldiers came looking for him and going all around, uh, and he stayed that way until nightfall. He would stay, he was six days in Bosnia. Uh, all the while, by the way, that during that time, the U.S. didn't know if he had survived. His wingman uh, also was fired upon and never had an opportunity to see if whether or not he bailed out and if he was alive and as he went down. And so they didn't know. One of the things Scott O'Grady had was a little radio used just for you know special communication if they were to have to rescue him. He knew that it had a limited battery on it and he was surrounded by enemy that were looking for him. And so just a few times a day he would turn that on and he would try to call out and send a message to, his, to the U.S., the satellites overhead that were listening. And nobody heard anything from him on those satellites, just the right the way things were working there uh, for, for six days. On the early morning of the 8th of June, 1995, just after midnight, a satellite overhead picked up the distress call. Scott O'Grady and it still as I read that I thought wow what a powerful thing he'd waited all those days and you know uh, as he was doing that anyways they, they picked up the the uh, the faint voice of I think it was Badger 5-2 is his call sign something like that he identified himself they challenged him when they got back to him on it uh, that he was indeed the right guy and they realized he's alive and immediately, over the next six hours, the U.S. put in one of the, I think, the greatest rescue missions that's ever taken place. They, they mustered 61 rescuers in two marine helicopters that would actually be the ones going in on the ground, along with two attack helicopters that went in with them. And they duplicated everything on standby just in case those things went down. They brought in A-10 warthogs, you know, jets that would come in with anti-tank missiles, and they at 175 miles an hour, these helicopters came into Bosnia, skimming the treetops. They came to the very location that Scott O'Grady was. He popped some orange smoke, 
He ran out of the woods. He came out so quick that the Marines that were on board that were supposed to set up a perimeter didn't have time to get off the aircraft before he was already at the aircraft and they pulled him in. It was just phenomenal. It's a great story about what took place. But during that eight days, he was, he was constantly being hounded by the enemy. Several times they almost walked on him. He, they were that close. Um, a lot of times he said, I just stayed there for hours on end, not moving, because I knew if, if I even moved a little bit, somebody would see me. But it's interesting, in that whole time, I, I, I grabbed some quotes out of that. He said this. He says, I was hunted down in a country where I didn't have a right to live. And then another quote, I look at my entire survival through my faith in God. Even in the face of death, the greatest source of peace came through my relationship with God. And he said in the middle of all that, not knowing if he'd even ever get out of there, he said God gave him such a peace in that. And he's a man of faith. He's written a book and several books he speaks um, on occasion at various things. But I thought about that because much like David, when you're in a real predicament, it's there where your faith is tested. And you just don't conjure that up instantly. It's something that is, has history with the Lord. That's what he wants us to continue to rely on him. So if those times do come, we can be there with him, right? And, and our faith is encouraged in that. Well, I just thought I'd end with that and be reminded that... Um, Whatever we're in, whatever you go through, whatever you face, Psalm 56 is a great psalm to look to, right? And the Lord of, the, of that psalm. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you again that we can just open up the Bible. And uh, we praise you tonight for your hand of goodness upon us and the fact that, Lord, you want us to continue to walk in the light of the living in that land. In Jesus' name, amen.